You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to C3SanDiego.com. Are y'all ready for the word? It is Christmas time and I'm excited. Oh, the keys. Yes, you guys can go. The worship team is amazing. You guys have like five guitars up here. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. They have been faithfully serving all morning. They probably got here at the crack of dawn before I was awake. Just kidding. I have a toddler. I was definitely awake before they were. Um, uh, hey, but listen, if I start to get wild, it's because I had a uh, flat white as well as a Diet Coke. So the caffeine is setting in. You're welcome. Anyways, the holidays are here. If you didn't know, with our 15 poinsettias and our 80 foot tree, we are so excited about Christmas. We just had Thanksgiving. How many like had a good Thanksgiving? Wait, I know y'all had a good Thanksgiving because you won the turkey bowl. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. I'm a little salty. I'm bringing my wounds to the Lord today because I was really hoping that we would bring the trophy home to Central, but there's always next year. Um, But my husband was here earlier at the 10 a.m. and I was making fun of him because Thanksgiving is actually his favorite holiday, which is not fair, especially if you're a dude who has like a really good metabolism. He's like, yeah, Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday because the man can eat 6,000 calories and not gain a single pound. So rude. I'm over here uh, just storing up for winter. San Diego, rough San Diego winter. Don't worry, guys. I had about 18 of those rolls and those little piles of mashed potatoes and I'm still living in the feast of Thanksgiving. But I am very excited that it is Christmas. It's the holiday season. People are so excited. The lights on the trees, the neighborhoods, the Christmas, all those fun things. But it is quite funny how people start to get a little wound up around Christmas, especially out shopping. Has anyone braved shopping? No, listen, Amazon, it's a thing for a reason. However, listen, y'all, I did go out the other night and I was going to Trader Joe's to, you know, get some organic vegetables and produce. But this woman was so wound up and thinking that I was going to like take her spot. She actually took my parking spot. Like I had my blinker on. Yeah, it was one of those. And I had my blinker on and she went and just blew right in there. I was so upset. Merry Christmas to you. Would you like to come to C3 and get saved? Hopefully, because you need it. And I was like, so mad. But then I was like thinking about how funny it is that people get so wound up during Christmas. And there was actually a study done from a medical group at a university. And they were um, putting a poll out there to see um, how uh, stressed people become. And they marked that 62% of people would consider themselves very stressed. Not just a little stressed, very stressed. That is a terrible thing around the holidays. There should be joy and there should be peace. But it's interesting because that is so much people's reality that they've actually changed the name. Um, They refer to it as festive stress. (laughs) Guys, festive stress. Listen, there are many things in this world that are festive. Sequins, diamonds, velour jumpsuits, champagne. Those things are festive. Stress is literally not welcome at any of my holiday parties. It is not festive. But for so many people, this is their reality. And I'll tell you why. Because what happens is you have your family dynamics. You got Susie and Uncle Bob and Cousin Tom and whatever. You got all these people all throughout the year. And what happens is you get all these frustrations, all these disappointments, all these unmet expectations throughout the year. Then you put those same people in a room and you wonder why they're losing their mind 
wine, drinking like a fish, and just going crazy because they have not dealt with the frustration, disappointment, all the hurts that have come throughout the year. The Bible is so clear to tell us that there is an enemy of our soul, the devil, who would love to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He would love to do nothing more than bring dysfunction around the family unit, specifically a mother or father, a parent and child relationship. Let me tell you why. Because the enemy knows that if he can pervert the way that you see a parent, then you would struggle your whole Christian life, possibly, on receiving what the heavenly father has from you. So many people, maybe people even in this room, you find yourself, you know, we start talking about God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the victorious one, uh, you know, all these amazing things that God is. But then when it comes around a time of talking about God as a heavenly father, the tender part of the Lord, you have a problem receiving that. Like you struggle maybe receiving or hearing a, a, a tithing testimony from Jorge, wherever he went. There he is in your bright blue. I see you. Um, but how amazing that God wants to get good things for his business. That's not just the king of kings, but that's his Abba Father wanting those things. That's his heavenly Father wanting that for him. And God has that for you. So I wanted to bring a message today around how do we deal with dysfunction and disappointment in the family unit. Are you guys ready? The title of my message today is Overcoming an Orphan Heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for every single person in this room. God, I thank you that you are touching hearts and you're gonna change lives today. God, I thank you that every word that I speak, God, is something that you have given me to say to this incredible group of people. God, I thank you that it would change their lives starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, the reason why I love you know talking about this subject is because I feel like I have stood in the fire. I've been a woman who's overcome so much. And I actually used to be one of those people who dreaded holidays. I grew up with my single mom and she was stereotypical, you know, poor single mom. And we were on government housing, government funded money, welfare, all these things that were great for a season, but really created a lot of chaos and dysfunction in our life. And my name every year would be on the Christmas tree, like the giving tree at school. You guys know that little giving tree, right? And I would get these really weird presents from people I didn't know. I remember one year I got a tie-dye Tweety Bird t-shirt. I was in like fifth grade, okay? Listen, you're like, oh, she's ungrateful. No, 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 I was not ungrateful. Listen, I also got those weird generic Barbies, the ones that are very hollow, and when you squeeze them, their head pops off, you know? I know. And I was a rough kid, so I was like popping the heads off, and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Okay, by the way, if we're going to be people that give to giving trees, let's give people the best. Let's not give them our leftovers. Let's not give them our junk. Let's show them that God loves and wants good things for them. Amen. But for me, it wasn't just about like the finances or the lack of having presents or the fear that um, I wouldn't get any presents. That, it wasn't that simple. It was actually a lot deeper. And for me, it was the fact that I had a very unhealthy, dysfunctional home. And every holiday, my mom, who was incredible and she did her best, um, she, was bi she was diagnosed with bipolar schizophrenia. So if you know anything about that, <clears throat> bipolar schizophrenia is really set off when the chemicals in your brain, when things start to change due to stress. And so since we're talking about stressful times, it was stressful during the holidays for my mom. And every single year from the time I can remember, literally from the time I can remember, my mom was taken from our home and put into a mental institution. I grew up wanting the Christmas season to go by. I didn't want any, I didn't want anything to do with the holidays. 
Um, sorry, I get emotional when I bring this up every time. I told myself I wasn't going to cry, but I am. But I had so much fear around the holidays. The Bible says in 1 John 4.10, and they're going to throw it up there for you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. What that's saying when it says the one who fears is not made perfect in love, that basically is showing us that if there's an area of your heart that fear still resides, then maybe that's an indicator that we actually haven't allowed Jesus, the only perfect love, to drive out that fear and anxiety. So if there's an area, whether it's a holiday that triggers you or talking about money or anything that might bring up a fear or an anxiousness, I want to challenge you today. Let the Holy Spirit, let God come in with his perfect love and begin to drive that out of your life. God wants connection with us. It says he love, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. That means he wants to connect. He's excited about you. Did you know that when you have a baby, if you put, after you give birth, you know, you put the baby. I'm sorry, all the motions, you know, in case you didn't know about the birds and the bees. But um, when you, I like this crowd. This 12 p.m. service, I like it. Yeah, you can tell at 10. You can tell at 10 a.m. at 12 p.m. Y'all are awesome. But um, I'm just kidding. But when you have the baby and you put the baby on the mom's chest, what you'll find is this is every single baby that if you don't touch the baby, the baby will eventually begin to make its way down to nurse at the mother, because we're born for connection. Scientists are catching up and realizing that we're biologically programmed, pre-programmed for connection. We are wired for connection. There was a study. I did a lot of studying when I was preparing for this. Not on wikipedia.com. This is actually Princeton University. Okay, guys, I really, I went in deep for y'all. I didn't want to just Google it. I went to princeton.com. And it says that they did a study of 14,000 U.S. children. And this is what it says. 40% of those children were lacking what psychologists call secure attachment. That without a strong bond to their mothers or fathers, they were more likely to become aggressive, defiant, suffer depression, and struggle with poverty. The other 60% of those who were considered to have secure attachments, they were resilient from poverty, stress, depression, and family instability. So when they did this study, and they are talking about the 60% who were just having simple needs met, physical needs, some emotional needs, mental needs, just the, the bare minimum, they were already resilient to poverty, stress, and family instability. That shows me that when there's a, con- a disconnect on the other 40%, when there's a disconnect, we can begin to take on what I feel is called the orphan heart. And what that means, Webster's Dictionary describes it as this a verb, and an action. To renounce, to turn away from, to desert, to leave without intending to return. But let me tell you something. The Bible is so clear that God has created us and that he will never leave or forsake us. So even if you're in here today, and I'm going to be talking about a lot of um, maybe missing a physical parent because that's what my situation was, you might have both of your parents in here and just feel that there's been a disconnect in an area of that relationship. That can also open you up for a heart that feels abandoned. So it doesn't just mean 
that there is a physical missing, but any of those areas. So today, if that's you, I just want you to wait on God to just minister to that part of your heart. As we're talking about all this, I want to make sure that we start from the beginning, because if we're going to talk about who we are and like overcoming feeling rejected or feeling abandoned, we actually have to start at the beginning, which is Genesis 1. How it all started, Genesis 1. You guys should be excited about Genesis because every year when the Bible plan rolls around, I know we all at least get through Genesis. January's coming. I'm like, yeah, Genesis for the 50th time. Can't wait. Oh, yeah. You're laughing because it's relatable. I know. But in Genesis, it's the um, account of creation. And God is out there, up there, around there, because he is omnipresent. He is all the things. And it talks about God hovering over the waters. And it tells us how God began to create with his words. It says, let there be light. And there is light. God said, let there be a separation between the sea and the earth. And there was land. Let there be vegetation. Let there be animals. He spoke all these things, and they were made in an instant. They were, boom, there they are. But when we go and look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, turn with me if you have your paper Bibles or scroll through on your Insta Bible. Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. What that's showing us is that God actually took a break. Instead of just speaking, 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 he stopped what he was doing and did something to differentiate the value of a creation of the earth and the animals and humanity. What he's saying is that he got down with his hands. He well could have said, let there be bone, let there be tissue, let there be hair, let there be what, let there be. And man would have formed. But he wanted to show us from the very beginning that we as human have values. We are like valued, y'all. And most people who love animals, I know that there's some people like, listen, you can love animals, but all those commercials about adopting animals, why don't we adopt some humans, people? Let's give some kids a chance too. I'm just throwing it out there. The Bible does say that there is a difference of value. Okay, this, this is it. God was in our zone. He was, it says that he breathed into Adam, which means he was close to Adam. God wants to be close to you. He wants that connection with you. The interesting thing about this is that there's an epidemic, is what I would call it, that outside of these four walls, there's a story and a narrative being told that depending on how you arrived on this earth, if you were unplanned, if you were born out of tragedy, if you were born out of victimization, if you were not wanted, all of those things now say that your value is less than and that your life is dismissible. That is not the word of God. That is not true. But that's what culture would tell you. Culture would say, well, you know what? Um, your parents didn't plan you. You were an accident. No, you were not. I will speak to that all day long, and I got some scriptures to show you. Here we go. Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, as a, appointed as a prophet to the nations. In another scripture, uh, another version of that scripture, it actually says, chose you. So you would say it like this. Before I formed you in the womb, I chose you. When we're talking about orphan hearts and we're talking about feeling disconnected or rejected or disappointed in that way, here's the deal. An orphan, 
is only an orphan as long as they have not been picked, right? But when they get chosen, guess what? They're not an orphan anymore. So what that Bible is showing us, absolute conclusion is saying, there's no way that you or that I could be a orphan or be rejected or be forsaken because God chose us from the beginning of time. Y'all, y'all are chosen. You are picked. God wanted you. And I just feel that so heavily in this service. I didn't like lay on it at the 10 a.m., but I really feel like people in this room, you need to know that it does not matter how you got here, if you were wanted or not wanted. God wanted you here. You have a value, you have a purpose, you have a destiny, and you find it in the house of God. Here's the thing. Just like I said, you know, you pick an orphan and they're no longer an orphan. Um, in that scripture earlier, it says that God, we love because God first loved us. Now, if you're a husband and wife in here, you've ever had a baby, you know that as soon as you're pregnant, like literally the moment you're pregnant, three years ago, I got pregnant and I was so excited. I had this little tiny lemon in my belly, you know, all the little fruits that they become as a nine months along. And then they become a giant watermelon and you're like, bro, what's happening? So here's the deal. Three years ago, me and my husband, Kenny, we were so excited and, um, we were like, okay, we're pregnant. What do we do? This is, we have a human that we're going to take care of. So um, side note, I did wait for 17 weeks, which is four months along, to go to the doctor. I don't recommend that, but this is my thought process in that. Okay, here's the deal. I figured, I have a baby in my stomach. There's a baby in this body. I knew that if I went to the doctor, the doctor was going to be like, you have a baby in your body. And then he was going to tell me that I would then have to have that little human exit my body. Exit my body? Ugh, it's still a lot to think about. I get hot just talking about it right now. Ladies, moms, God bless you. We did it, you guys. Amen. But it's a lot to think about. So there, that's, that's the reason. That's why I'm so weird. I decided not to go. Here we are. But I finally went. So four months in, Kenny and I go to the doctors. I'm like already pregnant. They're like, where have you been? I'm like, just doing my own thing, guys. Just doing my own thing. And, you know, you're in there as a new parent, and they're, like, showing you the, um, the sonogram. You're like, oh, this is great. And the doctor's like, look, and if you see here the head and the feet and the toes, you're looking at it like, mm, what is he pointing at? It's all a white blob. I have no idea what's happening. But it doesn't matter because even if it had a tail, I would have loved my baby. Because, I mean, I would have prayed for the tail to go away. But I, I would have chosen her anyway. And that's what's so powerful that Kenny and I as parents, we knew, God, we get to choose this baby every day for the rest of our lives. I get to look at her cute, fluffy blonde hair. By the way, I have a blonde hair, blue-eyed child. Surprise, genetics. It's a thing. And I get to look at her cute little face and just choose her every day for the rest of her life. And there's some of you in here that I just feel like you might say, well, I don't feel like I've been chosen. Well, let me tell you and remind you this whole message, the next 20 minutes, I'm going to remind you that God chose you, even if you feel like there's a place in your heart that you haven't been chosen. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible says in Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. 
Here's the deal. If you're in this church, if your booty is in a chair, you have walked into this building, you have now been set into a family. As we give our hearts to Jesus, we actually become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We are sisters, brothers in Christ. You have a family. You get to look at the person next to you, next to you, and in your connect group, front of you, behind you, all these people in this room. We're here to be your family. We're not here to replace the one that you have, even if you have a dysfunction, wild, crazy one like I did. And some of y'all, I know y'all have some crazy families too. It's not about replacing. What the goal is, is when you get in the house of God, we want to walk with you in faith to restore what a family unit looks like so that you can then carry that into your family. Amen? In second, or excuse me, Peter, 1 Peter 2.9, it says, Paul is actually talking about Jesus, and he's talking that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the main thing, but how the religious people had rejected him. So Paul is going on and says this. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the dark and into his wonderful light. Once you, were, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have obtained mercy. My favorite part of that scripture is the fact that it says, once you had no identity, but now you have an identity. An orphan doesn't have an identity. A lot of times it'll be Jane Doe or it'll be a number or all these different things because there's no identity there. And I remember there was a time in my life when I was really young, I was probably six or seven, and I was born in Texas. Hey, where's the Jaegers at, huh? There are my Texas folks. And um, I was born in Texas to my mom and my dad, and one night, in the middle of the night, my mom wakes me up and she says, okay, don't pack a bag. We're just going to go on a trip. I'm like, oh, this is a very interesting trip with no bag. Okay. Uh, also, dad is not coming. Oh, okay. That's different. I'm six years old trying to figure out what is happening in my life. My mom wakes me up, puts me on a plane. The two of us jump on a plane. We fly to the Northwest. We land. We meet my mom's parents out there. We go straight to the courthouse and we change our middle and last name. We went into hiding from my dad. And at six years old, even though I'd only had that identity for six years, I felt like a part of me had been robbed and was missing. And shortly after that, my mom had her first episode, which is where she had a mental breakdown. And I remember it was quite traumatic, and I laugh about it now because, you know, she's healed and she's doing amazing now, which is a, God, it's a miracle, y'all. It's amazing. And my whole life, this was normal. Her going to the mental institution, getting locked up for three weeks and then getting out. And then it just recycled all the time. And she, um, the first memory I have is that she showed up to my school wearing all purple with a name badge that said Mrs. Purple and a cake. And it was not my birthday. And I just remember the trauma that it created in my life because my teacher ripped me out of class, sat me in the nurse's office. I had to wait there. And I'm, I'm looking out the window and I see my mom get strapped down with leather restraints. And I see her get taken away. And it was so hard because even at a young age, I knew I felt like I had been abandoned and not on purpose. She wasn't choosing to do that. She was so sick. But the amazing thing about God, he uses every detail, every single detail that the enemy would want for bad. He uses it and turns it around for good. God did not create that situation or that sickness in my mom. The devil, that was the enemy. But God is so good. He took that and used it for something amazing. Let me tell you how. 
So in this time, I would bounce around because my mom was sick in the hospital. And I would bounce around to different people's houses. I would go to my grandparents' house. I would go to people in the church, people in the church, families just like you who opened their doors and said, come in, little girl. You don't owe me anything. Come on in. Let me help take care of you. One of the greatest families in my life, their name is Joe and Sandy. And uh, they were here a couple weeks ago and I got to preach this message at Central. And it was just amazing to see how full circle life is. And they were the people, the local church who took me in, pointed me to Jesus, said, you have to love Jesus. Come on, girl, you can do this. Let's find a way. And I'm like, okay, I'll find a way. And they allowed me to choose God to be my father. They, they helped me see what I couldn't see. They taught me how to love my mom. They taught me how to be full of grace and mercy. Listen, my mom owed me things she could never repay me, but I chose to forgive her, even though she would literally never be able to repay that debt. Sound familiar? Sounds like us when we call on Jesus, right? I know. And it's amazing because that's the power of what we as Christians get to do. We get to forgive people who owe us something. You're sitting in here maybe today and you've had, and I don't want to make light of the things that could have happened in your world. I, I know that there are tragic stories in this room. But I am telling you, when we exercise and we choose to forgive those who cannot, especially a parent, oh my gosh, it is freeing. It is incredible. I'm going to call the band up here in just a minute. You guys can get ready to come or wherever they are. <clears throat> Amen. I just, sorry, I just feel like a mo I just feel this, uh, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I'm so passionate about the local church. I'm so passionate about connect groups, and I'm passionate about getting in people's worlds, opening up our home. It's what, it's what we're meant to do. And I've just been so blessed by it. And I want to give you a couple points <clears throat> so I can stop crying um, on how to overcome an orphan heart. The first thing is recognizing whose you are. Like you heard in my story that your name can change, your identity can change, but at the end of the day, you are a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ. That is your last name. That is your heavenly father. Jesus is your heavenly father. In John 3:16, we've heard it. God so loved the world, he gave his only son for you and I. The Bible's showing us again that he chose us. He hung on that cross. He could have jumped off and said, no, I'm, this is not for me. God, the Father, I'm done. Bring me off. But he chose to stay on because he chose you. He wanted a relationship. He wanted to have an open door for you to come in and become a son and daughter of God. And we at the local church, we at C3 South Bay, we want to make sure that you are welcomed into this church as a family. If you're sitting in the back, if you're sitting in the middle, I don't know where you are, but we want you to know we are here to walk with you, to point you to Jesus, to teach you how to love your family. We want to equip you. God's got so much for you and your family. Let us walk with you guys. Don't just come in and do life alone. Don't come in and come out on a Sunday in your giant foyer that is so massive. Don't try and disappear. We will find you. We'll hug you and we'll answer questions that you have. Find out whose you are. The second thing is honor your mother and father. Literally, like highlight and circle this because this is, this is, this 
is the thing that changed my life. A couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago, someone asked me, man, Ash, your life is going really well. Like, how, like how, you're doing pretty good. Yes, I'm human and I have my struggles and different things. But I was sitting there, I was like, God, yeah, my life is pretty good. Like, what's, why? I wonder why. I just was kind of asking, like, what is it that's different that I'm doing that they're not? Honoring my mother and father. The, little, the Holy Spirit said, look at your life. The blessing you have is because I've honored my mother and father, even when they didn't deserve it. The Bible says clearly, honor your mother and father and it will go well with you. It is a commandment that is attached with a promise. It's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. It says, honor your mother and father and it will go well with you. Honor your mother and father and it will go well with you. Here's the deal, if you're having trouble honoring your mother and father, that could be an indicator that there's some disappointment, some unforgiveness, and even some bitterness that might be in your world. So let's take care of that. Let's forgive them, extend that grace. Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving others just as Christ forgave you. Forgive them, let it go. They can't repay you anyway, so don't hold on to it. Let it go, let it go, let it go. You're welcome. Frozen part two. Hey, frozen part three. Um, but let it go. It's not serving you well. And I do wanna add in there that just because you forgive and you honor, you can also have healthy boundaries. I told the last service that one of my healthy boundaries and how I actually can still honor my mom is I honor her with a phone call every week. She's in Texas, this tiny little town in Texas. By the way, she gave her life to Jesus. Hello, amazing. She goes to a great tiny little Southern Baptist church. I wish we had a C3 in Waco, Texas. We'll get one someday. But um, she's living for God and it's so amazing because Watching her, she watched me how I responded. She watched how I responded, so her life has changed. But like I was saying with the boundary thing, my mom's been healed and she's been set free and she's not been in the hospital for a very long time, but there's still healthy boundaries I have. One of them is she's never to move to San Diego. I know that sounds really rude and some of you are like, oh, how rude. Listen, that is my personal healthy boundary and she's good with it, I'm good with it, we are happy. But I'll tell you, every Thursday I give her a phone call because she calls me a million times a day. Literally, I was saying in the last service, she was probably calling me and my phone was buzzing. And um, I've made a way to honor her with my time by setting up a boundary. So please, please, please make boundaries in your world. If you have questions, ask your Connect leader. You can still honor, but have boundaries. And the last one is become a son and daughter of the house. That's just fancy Christian language to say get planted. Come into these four walls, come in, get refreshed, get planted. Here's the thing about kids. I have one, she's almost three. She's wild and cute and she's everywhere I go. I'm like, oh, there she is again. Oh, she's, wow, she really is literally following me around the house. I'm like, okay, we have an entire house, but right here on my shadow. And um, parent, kids, they're everywhere. They're in everything, every event get to every event that C3 has. Let me tell you guys, when we have connect groups, get to a connect. When we have women's prayer, get to women's prayer, men's prayer, cherish, emerge, twisted. There's no lack of things to do at C3. We got a lot going on. But all for good reason, everything has a purpose, but come and get together. Let us love you and do life with you. Amen? Amen.
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 